chapter 2 today. Uh, Today is a significant day in the history of the church. Anybody know what today is called on the Christian calendar? Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today is called Pentecost Sunday, and the word Pentecost means 50th, and it refers to, uh, to the 50, 50th day after the resurrection. So in Hebrew thought, there was a Jewish festival back in the New Testament era that occurred 50 days after the Passover uh, Passover holiday. So Jesus's crucifixion took place around the Passover time, and then 50 days later, they would celebrate the Shavuot, which was the Pentecost, which celebrated the freedom that they had having been brought out of slavery in Egypt. Now, over the years, Pentecost Sunday has taken on a new meaning. It refers to the seventh Sunday after Easter Sunday. So we're now seven weeks past Easter. And for the church, it represents the day in Acts chapter 2 when the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon God's people and the global movement that we call the church began to take root. Now let me ask you this question. What is a church? What is a church? Now that's a, uh, that, that can actually be a harder question to define than what you might immediately think. I've actually been in meetings before where I was on a credentials committee for the association and we were trying to decide, all right, is this considered a church or is this just a Sunday school class or is this just a family who's wanting nonprofit status or something like that? Is it a church or not? So when we arrive in Acts chapter 2, it had been 50 days since Jesus had transformed the meaning of the Passover into what we recognize today as the Lord's Supper. And Jesus is now launching his church. The church is the only organization that Jesus ever founded. It was the resonance of Jesus' ministry, the church. But sometimes whenever we try to define church, we think of a a building. So we say to ourselves, well, that's a, that's a beautiful church. Wouldn't that be great for our little baby to get married right there in that beautiful church? It's so picturesque. It has a white steeple and a pond out back where we can do the reception. It'll be great. And we think of a church as the building. Or we say, well, I'm headed down to the church. And we think of the building as the church. Sometimes we think of the church as a denomination. So whenever we say the church, we think in the, in the broader terms, well, well I'm, a, I'm part of the Baptist church, or I'm part of the Methodist church, or I'm part of the Presbyterian church, or something of, of that nature. By the way, uh, our denomination, if you will, is Baptist. So we are a Southern Baptist church, uh, and, and we partner with 40,000 other Southern Baptist churches in that regard. You know what our actual name is as a church? Our actual name is the Murphy Road Baptist Church of Murphy, Texas. That's our name. And uh, so we abbreviate that sometimes to Murphy Road Baptist Church, and sometimes we abbreviate it on down to Murphy Church. But if you want to get technical, we're the Murphy Road Baptist Church of Murphy, Texas. Be a good t-shirt, wouldn't it? Yeah. Words would just wrap around in a circle right there. 
Uh, one thing people don't realize about Baptist churches sometimes is that Baptist churches are all autonomous. So there is no denomination that speaks for the local Baptist church. Each Baptist church is an autonomous body. And that's why if you visit 50 different Baptist churches, you're going to find about 45 different flavors. But sometimes we think of church as the denomination that we're a part of. Sometimes we think of church as the program. We think, well, down at the church, we do this. And that's what the church is, is the program. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is used for church is the word ekklesia. And that word means assembly. So zero in with me. I know I'm, I'm doing a little bit of doctrine, a little bit of, of uh, theology here. The church is made up of its people. The people are the church. And so if I had to uh, put a, a definition on church, I would say a New Testament church is a group of baptized believers. I think we have a slide on this here coming up here. A New Testament church is a group of baptized believers in Jesus Christ who assemble together regularly for worship and spiritual growth. A New Testament church must be birthed in unity and love with a commitment to share the gospel, make disciples, and be the body of Christ. A New Testament church needs to be birthed in unity and love, not in division or deceit. It must have a commitment to share the gospel, make disciples, and be the body of Christ. And then local churches partner together with other local churches to share the gospel, to continue to expand the mission of the church around the world. And it is a beautiful thing when the gospel expands into new cultures. You may have noticed there's a lot going on in the world these days. You ever notice that? But if you think you're facing a lot of challenge this morning, it's really not much compared to what they were dealing with at the first Pentecost. Now, I shouldn't say that because you've got to be careful about comparing our troubles to other problems. Boy, they had a lot of troubles in the world back then. People coming from all over the different parts of the world. It was a very divisive time. The Roman Empire at the height of its power. Most of the world in some form of slavery. Pentecost was a tough time. It was a tough time in history. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You say, all right, Lash, what's going on here? Well, several things. Number one, you find that people from all over the world were in Jerusalem. So part of the Pentecost story is that the crowd was intentionally diverse. It wasn't just one people group. It wasn't just the Jewish people group. It was intentionally diverse. There were Jews, Gentiles, and people from all sorts of nations. If you continue reading there in Acts chapter 2, you'll see some of the different nations pointed out. Secondly, we see God 
pouring out the Holy Spirit on those who are believers. This was a sign that the church had been initiated. This was a sign that God was working for the expansion of the church to all people. Thirdly, you see here a miracle that is taking place. They are speaking the gospel, and everyone is hearing in his or her own language. That was, whenever you look at Acts chapter 2, that was what tongues were. It was a miracle where they would preach the message, and the crowd that had gathered from all over the world that had different languages would hear it in their own language. Now, this was a huge moment in biblical history, because since the call of Abraham all the way, 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 way back in Genesis, God had been primarily working with one people group. He had been primarily working with the Jewish people group. Now, you see diversions from this, like in the book of Jonah, where Jonah is sent to the Assyrian people in Nineveh. So even in the Old Testament, you see God caring about Gentile people. You see Jesus ministering to Gentile people in the Decapolis and Perea throughout his ministry. But now, here at Pentecost, God is sending a very clear message that the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed to every nation on earth. It is a global message that has been given to every girl, boy, woman, and man. Hear this. The message of Jesus Christ is meant to cross the boundaries of race and ethnicity. It is meant to cross geographical boundaries, financial boundaries, cultural boundaries. The message of Jesus Christ is more than a story of justice. It is a story of grace, a story of grace that can bring unification to diverse perspectives, a story of grace that can bring a hope that transcends the evil and injustice in our world. The message of Jesus was never meant to be just for a few chosen, but it is the transcending and transforming hope of the world. All people, all nations, and you see this at Pentecost when this message of the gospel is preached and people hear it in their own heart language. The Holy Spirit is whispering into their heart saying, Christ died for you. This message is for you. No matter where you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what the color of your skin, this message is for you. There's something also unique about Pentecost, and that is the preacher of the first Pentecost sermon. His name is the Apostle Peter. Ever heard of him? One of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Very unlike... I'm going to trip over this here. Church memories. Remember that time... When the pastor fell in the pool and the beach balls went out into the crowd. Here you guys go. You want it, Leslie? Here you go. All right. There you go. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Do y'all remember that time when Beth Porter brought a beach ball to church? I told her it was inappropriate, yet she did it anyway. Isn't that special? So, <laughs> I'm just playing with you, Beth. So the Apostle Peter was an unlikely preacher. One, he was uneducated. He didn't go to seminary. Well, he went to Jesus' seminary. 
three years with Jesus is a pretty good seminary, but, you know, he, he was uneducated. He was salty. He's a fisherman. If you read Peter's life, he said some cringy things. He'd say things that make you go, ugh, he shouldn't have said that. He had a sordid past. During the passion story, he denies Christ publicly. He seems to be a guy that struggled maybe with depression, struggled a little bit with doubt, and yet God is using him here at the Pentecost sermon, and God used him in the formation of the church in a mighty way. Whenever you see a list of the apostles, guess whose name is always first next to Jesus? Peter, because he was an actual leader. And so he stands up in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, and he says, fellow Israelites, Listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. And then I love this little last part here. Just as you yourselves know. Just as you know. Now, the disciples had a problem when we get to, uh, in, when we get to verse 22. And that is that they had been so filled with the Holy Spirit that many in the crowd thought they were drunk. In, first, in fact, in verse 15, that's the rumor going through the crowd that the apostles are drunk. And so the apostle Peter gets up and he's like, listen, it's never good when the first church staff shows up to the inaugural Sunday service drunk. The rumor on Twitter right now is that we're drunk, but he says, no, we're not. We're not drunk on wine. The movement that is happening today was prophesied about thousands of years ago by the prophet Joel. What you're experiencing today is the story of God trying to tell you something. And you know this because Jesus lived among you. He was born of a virgin. The angels proclaimed. You saw the famines and the stars. You were there, folks, whenever Jesus fed the multitude. Some of you were there whenever he healed the blind, whenever he walked on water. And Peter says all this, all these things, they were signs that should get your attention. And that's why the Apostle Peter says, just as you yourselves know, you've seen it. Don't pretend as if you didn't see it. Jesus never hid himself. I mean, yeah, he talked in parables, and at times they were hard to understand, but he always did them right in front of you. He didn't hide. You saw him. You knew who he was. Some of y'all thought I was going to fall that time, didn't you? I heard a quote one time. It said, people tell you who they truly are. We just don't listen because we want them to be who we think they are. And Jesus told you who, you who he truly was. He was right there. Every miracle that Jesus had done attested to the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. God ever given you a sign and you just missed it? God ever given you a sign and, like, for whatever reason, you just didn't get it? I heard about a preacher one time who was celebrating his 10th anniversary at the church. So they took up a big offering and gave him a bunch of U-Haul gift certificates. There's your sign right there. It's a joke, just funny. In my house, my, uh, my wife's mouth moves to the side of her face sometimes. 
And so if I walk through the kitchen and Stacy looks like this, there's my sign right there. <laughs> Mama's not happy. And sometimes God's signs are right in front of us. And for whatever reason, we just refuse to see them. So I have this suspicion. I have this suspicion that in your life, God is pointing something out to you. That in your life, God is at work. That he's showing you something. That he's growing you. He's working in your life. And so let me ask you this question. It's a heart question. Are you paying attention? Are you listening? The signs of God's work in your life and through your life may be right in front of you. Are you hearing them? Are you taking note? In verse 23, Peter continues the sermon. He says, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. So Peter is talking about all the different things that have happened during the past 50 days. And he says, look, God's determined, predetermined plan has been revealed. It was the plan of God that his son was going to die for the sins of the world, and he died on the cross, and yet he overcame death. This, this was the plan of God uh, all the way back to the foundations of the earth. Peter also says, lawless people nailed him to the cross. Now, something we need to realize about the cross of Jesus Christ. If you read the scriptures, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not just a good example of somebody who really believed in his cause all the way through the point of death. It isn't just an example of loving a people so much that you would be willing to die for them. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross is a spiritual atonement where he is dying on the cross as a substitute for you and for me. He is taking on the wrath of God, taking it into himself. He is tasting death, not just a swoon, not just a momentary lapse of life. He experiences physical death, and then there is this defining moment where God raises him up from death. And Peter points out here, everyone saw Jesus die. It wasn't hidden. He was sliced by a whip. He was nailed to a cross. He died publicly. There is absolutely no doubt that he was dead, but death couldn't hold him. He rose again. If you ever study movements, kind of look at the history of movements that take place in our world, you find that they, they normally have some similar characteristics. Usually a, a movement will begin with a single person. And so there's something that revolves around a, a person, and then there is a moment that captures people's attention. And then once there's been this moment that captured people's attention, there is this reactionary moment that hits people emotionally, and they react to what they've, they've seen. And then there's an explosion of action. You'll see this in uh, 
civil rights movements. You'll see this in political uprisings. They normally begin with an individual, then there's some type of event that captures people's attention, then there is an emotion react, emotional reaction, and then there is an explosion of action. And you also see this in the movement of the church. It began with a person, Jesus Christ. And then there was a moment that captured people's attention, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there is a reactionary moment that captures the heart. And I believe you see that reactionary moment in verse 36. As Peter continues to lean into the sermon and he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And here's the reaction in verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They heard the message of Christ. They heard the message of salvation. And it hit them. It captured their heart. And so then they asked the apostles, Tell us, what should we do? What should our reaction, what should our action be? Thomas Jefferson once said, do you want to know who you are? Don't ask, act. Action will delineate and define you. Zig Ziglar said, outstanding people have one thing in common, an absolute sense of mission. You know, Jesus never called us to come and sit and think a lot about him. He called us to go and tell everyone we know about him. He called us to take the message of the gospel, to let it pierce our heart, and then to move us to action. And so they asked Peter, what should we do? And he replies in verse 38. Are you with me in your Bibles there? Are you still with me today? Verse 38. Let's look at it. What should we do, Peter? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Can you imagine that day? 3,000 people coming to know Christ, being baptized. That's a big church picnic. <laughs> yeah, we were working on logistics to feed 100 people. Imagine trying to baptize 3,000 people. You know, they're having to rent the local YMCA so they get the swimming pool and all that kind of stuff so they can do the baptisms. I mean, it's, that's a blessing. That's a cool day. 3,000 people added to the church. What do we do, Peter? What should our action be? Repent and be baptized. And, and maybe that is the action point in your life right now. Maybe God has been working in your heart, and he's been drawing you to himself, and you're at that point where your response to God's work needs to be salvation. Just bowing the knee and trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior. 
And I invite you to make today the day where you take that step of faith. Here in just a few moments, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I'll invite you during that prayer to make this your moment of faith. For many of us in the room, we've, we've had that moment. We've had the moment of faith, and we've been baptized. And so one of the questions that we have as we think about the church is, well, well what now? And I hope that you realize this today. The church is so much more than songs and preaching and life groups. The church is more than a nice building and a healthy budget. The church is more than family events and activities for the children. The church is you. The church is me. The church is us. Look around. This is the church. And the church grows as our footprint in the community expands. That's how the church grows, as our footprint in the community expands. And the plan that Jesus laid out for us is that each of us would go, and we would go into our lives, and we would go into our worlds, and we would go into our communities, and as we went, we would be salt and light. We would make disciples. We would live out the life to which God has called you. And so the church grows through these little acts of kindness and inclusion where you are salt and light. The church grows as you share the gospel, as you tell others about Christ. The church grows as you pray for people and you care for them and you walk with them through life. Maybe your neighbor is sick. Maybe your coworker has lost a loved one and you take time to pray for them and to, and to care for them. And as you have that act of kindness, that act of love, the gospel continues to go forth and opportunities for conversation present themselves and the church grows. The church grows whenever you notice the signs that God is pointing out and we join him in his work. The church grows through organized efforts and through those random moments of organic invitation when the Holy Spirit invites you to join him in his work. And little by little, the footprint expands and the movement that began 2,000 years ago in this little Middle Eastern city called Jerusalem lands in your life and mine, and it transforms the community, it changes families, it transforms hearts as the gospel continues to take root and the movement that we call the church continues to expand. We are a local body of believers meeting here today in Murphy, Texas, but as we meet here today, there are over a billion people around the world joining us in worship, joining us in praise, joining us in mission as the church that began all those years ago at Pentecost continues to be the church. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment. And I want to ask if uh, there's never been that time in your life where you've trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, if you would like to make right now your moment, would you? Would you like to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord? There's no magical set of words. This needs to be something that comes from your heart to God. But I would invite you right where you're sitting to call out to God and to say something like this, Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I have sinned. I ask forgiveness. 
and I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. I pray that you might give me the Holy Spirit, change me, save me, and allow me to be a part of your story, to use my life for your glory. And so, Heavenly Father, I mark this moment in my life right here in this church today as a moment of surrender, as a moment of salvation. And if that's you today, if you're one of those individuals that is giving your heart to Christ today, please don't just keep this to yourself. Tell me. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service. Tell somebody that you know that is a Christian themselves. Tell them, hey, I made this decision in my life today. Can you help guide me and help me take the next steps? This room is filled with many believers, and God has brought us here together on purpose for a purpose. We are a church, and he has called us to live out the mission of the church. And I want you just to take that deep breath and to realize what an incredible thing it is to be a part of something. A part of something that is so much bigger than anything you can imagine. A part of something that lasts forever. A part of something that really answers the question of the soul. That is huge. And that's why we're here, to be a church. God, I thank you for my church family. I pray that we might live with authenticity. And I pray that we might live with a sense of mission that drives us to go and make disciples. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. The band's going to lead us in worship. Sing with them. If there's anything I may pray with you about, I'm here at the front. Much love to you all as we worship.